Eric, one of the pastors here. That's one of my favorite songs ever. Um, and what, what I was thinking about just now kind of singing that song is that's the answer to any anxiety, stress, life issues, troubles, a big view of God. I mean, just singing how great thou art. And, and if I can accomplish anything when I preach through God's word, hopefully it's to give you a bigger view of, of who God is. As a staff, we're reading through A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, and we talked about it this last week, and it's kind of a deep, heavy, you know, read, but it's all about who God is and the attributes and, and how heavy and how big He is, and it's just, when I read things like that or I sing that song, I think about how big God is, you know, it's like looking at God, everything else kind of gets fuzzy. You know how you, you get, you stare at something, everything else in the peripheral vision gets fuzzy. When we gaze at God and see Him as big, all of our troubles in life get just kind of fuzzy, uh, because that's who he is. So that was on my mind while we were singing. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing the Father to us. Father, thank you for sending your Son and then sending the Holy Spirit that we could get to know you, how great thou art. Uh, we don't really speak that way, thou art, but, but I like it. It's, it's poetic, how great you are. You are everything. You are all in all. You are the creator of the mountains, uh, the clouds, the grass, uh, all the animals. You are the creator of us. You are the creator of the church. Um, it's all about you. It's all about your glory. And the interesting thing as we get to know you and your scripture is that we realize everything is about you. Everything is about your glory. You are the center. We are not. But yet you in your glory, in your power, in your love, give to us so much. Give to us of yourself, give to us grace and mercy and will for eternity. Uh, it's best for us, but it also then reflects your glory. We just thank you for this plan. We, we pray that we would understand you more this morning, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, that you would get more of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, uh, I love to watch movies. I'm a movie buff, and I read a lot of books. You know, we've been building a house, and so I listen to a lot of books on tape, and I really enjoy mysteries. I don't know if anybody else enjoys mysteries, but kind of the, the theme, and I think it's more of a recent theme in the past couple decades of storytelling is you start watching a TV show or a movie, and the opening scene will be something dramatic, you know, Liam Neeson tied up and bleeding or something, you know, and you see all this stuff, and then it goes, and two weeks before. And now, so it caught your attention, and you see, and then you have to watch, because what's the mystery? How did they get to this point? How is it carrying out? What's going to happen? Have you ever thought about the Bible as a mystery novel? Now, it's not a novel, because it is the Word of God, you know, God breathed, but it's kind of like a mystery novel. I mean, think about it. If you knew nothing about God, nothing about the you were on an island somewhere by yourself, you were born there somehow by yourself, and then you came here, and, and you, got, you got a Bible, and they said, this is the word of God. This is the true story of mankind. And you start reading it. I mean, think about that. You read it. It's like God created everything. So cool. Oh, he, he made man out of dirt. That makes sense. Uh, he made woman. Okay. You get, you know, put us in a garden. Um, beautiful story, right? They're walking through the garden with God. And, and God gives them instructions. Like, look at this tree. You can eat of this tree. And make sure you water the carrots. And, you know, going through it. But one thing, don't eat from that tree. And you're reading through, and like, of course they're not going to eat from that tree because they've got all this stuff. He says, and if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. And then you're reading on, and this, the, the Satan comes along, disguised as a serpent, and, and starts seducing Eve to, to eat from this. And, and you see that Adam is there the whole time, just kind of like hanging out, listening, doing nothing about it. 
and then the fall. They eat of the fruit. Sin enters. Uh, they, they realize they're naked. They hide from God. Uh, God makes them clothing. And, and so you see all this, and, and it's now broken. And God curses not just the woman, not just the man, but all of creation then is cursed. There's something broken. And as you would read, you'd go, okay, what's the solution? What's going to happen? You know, you'd be on the edge of your seat, hopefully, if it's a new story, and you're, you're reading what's going to happen. And so you see later, uh, Abram is called. We, we looked at that last week. Abraham is called, this man, and God says, go, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, all the world will be blessed through you. And you go, okay, maybe this is the solution. And, and you see this nation of Israel come up. Then they're enslaved. Then Moses comes along. You're like, okay, here's the answer, right? You're reading through, and he's given the law, and, and he gives them the law, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, plus 603 more, two more, whatever the math works out, all these command and a sacrificial system. You go, okay, sin's the problem. We know that because we read Genesis. The solution is the sacrifices. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the sacrificial system is in. The priests, uh, the, the temple then access to, okay, here's the solution. They, they were told there'll be a blessing, but yet you read on and they just keep messing up. You know, sometimes a good king will come and they pursue God and you're reading through this story and then the prophets come along and you're reading through and the prophets start dropping hints like this isn't it. This isn't it. This is good. You know, we've got God, pursue God, but there's something better coming. Somebody's coming. You start getting these hints throughout the Old Testament. There's a Messiah coming. There's a king coming. The promises to David. Uh, one of his heirs will sit on the throne forever. And so then there's this anticipation of the nation Israel that the Messiah is coming. And this is the solution. Keep reading. You get to the New Testament. Here comes Jesus. And imagine you're just reading it through, and you see, here's the Messiah, born the Son of God, God in flesh. Here's the answer. Now imagine being the disciples, too. The disciples who grew up in this mystery of, of the Messiah going to come, and here comes Jesus. Not as they thought. You know, he came humble. He didn't come as a king. He's promised to be a king, and he will be. So he comes, he starts preaching about the kingdom, he starts teaching about God and God's plan. This is exciting. You know, he walks into Jerusalem in that last week of his life, and if you read in the Gospels, you see, and we celebrate this a week before Easter with Palm Sunday, everybody's celebrating, here comes the king, here's the answer, and then he dies. Then he dies, he's crucified on the cross, and as you read the Gospels, these disciples who were so excited about Jesus, now he dies and they freak out. They all run and they flee. It looks like there's only one of them when he's dying on the cross. John is the only one there. The rest are all hiding somewhere. But then three days later, Jesus rises from the dead and we start getting clarity of this mystery. And Jesus raises from the dead. He appears to his disciples for 40 days, teaches them about the kingdom. And then the church is formed and we start getting the glimpse. Okay, here's the answer. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Mystery solved. That's the answer. But the Bible then goes on. So it's a great mystery novel, a story, and then we see Jesus is the answer, but yet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the New Testament, share that story, but then there's a lot more of the New Testament. What comes next? We'll turn to Ephesians if you would, because we are in the book of Ephesians. We're, we're strolling through. It's six chapters. The first three chapters are really all about who you are in Christ, your identity, that's why we've titled the series, Know and Do. Paul wants us to know some things about God, about Jesus, about us, about God's plan, and about us even as a church. And then the, the second three chapters are really about, because of this is who you are in Christ, now live this way. Now, we're not there yet. 
We'll get there in a couple weeks. But we're still in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, and now we're going to be looking at a mystery. Paul, it's kind of funny, he starts in chapter 3. I hope you're there. 3.1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he runs on a tangent. And he actually picks this back up in verse 14. If you look down at verse 14, he says, for this reason. So really, you can kind of take the next 13 verses, and they're kind of their own thing. Paul goes on, you know, kind of like a, a squirrel. Maybe you have a kid like that. You know, it's supposed to be work squirrel. So, and that's Paul. For all this reason, oh, wait, now I've got to tell you about this. And he gets so excited about God's plan, which he calls a mystery. Now, he had just been sharing about this mystery, and he talked about it in chapter 2. Uh, the beginning of chapter 2, we, we see our great uh, testimony of how we're saved by grace, not by law, not by rules, saved by grace. And it's through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But not just saved by faith, uh, by God's work, Jesus on the cross, but now we're, we're called to do good works that he prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2, 10. And then he goes on in, in the rest of chapter 2, talking about this mystery of what God has done in the church, of what God has done uniting Gentiles and Jews now into one group that is one body, God's body uh, on earth, Jesus's body on earth. And he calls it the temple. If you missed last week, go listen to the podcast. Uh, but the church is now united as the temple. And we saw last week in the Old Testament that the temple was the place where God dwelt. It was his presence. So the Jews and others would go to the temple to worship, to experience the presence of God, to have access to God. Now, we are the temple, not this building, but, but you, me, we as the church. And so he shared all these deep truths. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, I pray for you. And, and our Paul is going to preach on that next week. That's the prayer in the second half. But then he runs on this tangent. Now, these are heavy. <laughs> these are heavy verses, and so you should be in a, an outpost group so you can talk about it this week. Uh, but we're going to see some deep things about God and about who we are and one of his themes about God's plan. So look with me at verse 2. Here's his tangent. He said, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So, so twice here, he refers to a mystery. Now, a mystery is something, you know, biblically, this means something that is true, but that has now been revealed. And the mystery he refers to, he already talked about, as he says, I, as I've written briefly, look back at 2, chapter 2, verse 18, Paul writes, yeah, that's right, as I've written briefly, um, for through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This uniting of Jew and Gentile into one body of Christ. And Paul says that he is a stewardship, he, he's, he has a stewardship of God's grace. Now it's interesting, Paul seems to be introducing himself a little bit. And so a lot of commentators will say because of these verses, we know Paul's writing to Ephesus, but also 
to the area around there. He hadn't been there for a while. He had planted this church. He had been there for about three years, and the church had grown. And so some people are getting this letter, probably asking, who's this guy? You know, why should we listen to him? And so he's introducing himself a little bit, and he says that he has a stewardship of God's grace. What is a stewardship? Now, we spent four weeks this past summer talking about stewardship, but a steward is somebody who manages what belongs to somebody else. So Paul says he is a steward of this mystery of God's grace, this knowledge of God's plan to bring Jews and Gentiles together, people from all tongues, all nations, into one group that is God's body, the temple, the church. He says he is a steward of that. He holds this truth. He has a unique understanding of this truth, and he is, is told to share it. Now, Paul, he, he heard this from Christ. He has a unique testimony himself. He wasn't one of the first 12 apostles. Uh, he was riding on a road, actually going arresting Christians. Jesus appears to him in a blinding light. You know, he, he gets off his animal, and, and he's blinded. And the voice of Jesus says, you know, Saul, his name was Saul until God changed it to Paul. He says, why are you persecuting me? He goes, he hears the gospel. And we see elsewhere in Scripture where, where Paul was actually taught this gospel directly from God by revelation. Later, he would get to know the disciples. Later, he would go to Jerusalem, he would meet the other disciples, and they would kind of compare notes. You know, we heard this from Jesus, I heard this from Jesus, and they lined up perfectly. So Paul is an apostle. He has this, this stewardship to tell the truth, the good news that Gentiles now are part of God's plan. Now, it's a mystery because this was unknown in the Old Testament. Read through the entire Old Testament and you see God's plan as it is poured out, this mystery starts to be revealed, it's to the Israelites. The promises were made to Abraham. Then through Moses, the law given to the Israelites. You know, then David, the king of the Israelites, the Jews, they have these promises. And so for anybody else in the world, like you and me, Gentiles, maybe some of us in here might be of Jewish ancestry, for us to get a relationship with God, we'd have to go become Jews. You know, if you read through the Old Testament, you see non-Jews being saved. Remember Jonah went to this place called Nineveh, and all these Gentiles repent, they turn to God, we're going to see them in heaven. But for, if they would go to Jerusalem and say, hey, we believe in this God now too, we want to come in the temple, they'd go, oh, time out. You need to all go get circumcised first. You all need to go become Jews. This mystery now is being revealed that it's not becoming a Jew anymore. So this is in your notes, if you're a note taker. God's plan to reconcile people to himself through Jesus' sacrifice was unknown to the Old Testament saints. It was unknown. That's why it's a mystery. Not that it's a new thing. This was always God's plan, as we'll see. But they didn't know it. And now it's coming known. And this mystery, look at verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel is the good news. This mystery is that Gentiles now are heirs of the promise. This was last week. If you missed last week, listen to the podcast. We're not going to get into all of that, but this promise were these promises made to Abraham. 
you know, these covenants made with Abraham, we now get to become partakers of those promises, not because we're good, not because we've earned it, but simply because of God's grace. Gentile and Jewish Christians are now united in God's new family as equal heirs with one another and with Christ. Partakers. And of this gospel, of this good news, what is this good news? Saved by faith in Jesus Christ, His substitutionary death on the cross for us. Faith in Him gives us life. We get the Holy Spirit sealed. We saw that earlier in Ephesians. We're sealed, we're secured in Him until He comes again to take us to be with Him or until we die as we've been singing about. But of this truth, verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He calls himself a minister, that is a servant charged with a responsibility. It's kind of like a steward. But he's a minister of this truth. And his job, what he's charged with, is to share this truth with the Gentiles. Now, Paul traveled all around the known world, and when he went into a town, he would first go to the synagogue. He would first go to the Jews because they had the Old Testament. They were the ones that when they heard this, many should go, there's the answer. Jesus is the Messiah, the substitutionary death of, of God in flesh. But he would go to the Jews until inevitably they'd want to kill him, and then he'd go to the Gentiles. And that was his real mission, was to go to the Gentiles. But I want you to notice how he views this ministry and this stewardship. Question, you, you and me, now, I'm assuming, I'm talking to you who have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord. Do you sometimes feel like this Christian life is a responsibility? Do you sometimes feel a little bit of a, maybe a burden that I need to go to church, I should be sharing my faith, you know, all these things? That can be a good thing. You know, there's some conviction there. But I want you to look at how Paul views this. Paul moves, in his mission to share the gospel, Paul moved from responsibility to privilege. Verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach. This grace. He views this as a high calling on his own life. He's been given grace. Grace is a gift that's undeserved. He says, I've been given a gift. Not that I've earned it. Remember, he persecuted Christians. My gift from God, a free gift, is that I get to share this truth. Do you feel that way? I mean, this gives me chills. We have the privilege to serve God. My goodness. As we get this great view of God, He doesn't need you, especially not you. <laughs> he doesn't need me, especially not me. But what a privilege that we get to worship. I mean, golly, just singing those first two songs, hearing Amy's story, we, we get to participate in what Amy got to do in check, and we get to hear that story. I was part of that, because I gave some money to that. <laughs> but, but, but that's the partnership we have. Maybe not much, but... but what a privilege it is for us to serve God together. What a joy. Paul moved from responsibility to privilege. Paul was an extremely effective minister. He planted many churches, but it wasn't because he was eloquent. In fact, as you read through, it looks like Paul wasn't even all that good of a speaker. So how was it he was so effective in ministry? Well, remember in Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended into heaven, what he told his disciples, he said, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The power is to be a witness through the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. Paul had that power. But Paul calls himself, and I think this is interesting in verse 8, the least of all the saints. Now, in all honesty, do you read that and go, whatever? <laughs> I, I do at times. I hear Paul write, me, the least of the saints. Like, you planted how many churches? You know, you wrote, how much of the New Testament? Half of it? What, what do you mean the least of the saints? It looks like false humility. I mean, this is kind of like Tom Brady going, I'm the least of the quarterbacks in the NFL, although I've gone to the Super Bowl 50% of all my years, and, you know, and I win most of the... In fact, I've won more Super Bowls. Than, I mean, that's kind of the idea of Tom Brady. That's who Paul is. Paul's like the Tom Brady of the Christian ministry. So it's, but it's not a false ministry, because look at Paul's life. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. Paul didn't hear the gospel and look at the Old Testament and go, that sounds right. I'm going to place my faith in him. Paul had to be knocked off a horse by Jesus. Paul had to be grabbed and thrown on the ground and blinded and said, you're going to believe in me and you're going to do what I tell you to do. That's how Paul was saved. He wasn't wooed by Christ. He was hit in the head by Christ. What a grace. And Paul would write elsewhere about a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. Uh, some think it was his eyesight, uh, maybe a sin issue, whatever it is. But he, he prayed three times that that would be taken away. It wasn't. He writes in Romans, the things that I don't want to do, I do. I, I, the things I want to do, I keep not doing. So he still struggled like we do. My point is Paul's a lot like you and me. As I read those, that encourages me. And then I look at him, go, I'm the least of the saints. And I go, well, yeah, I guess so. But look at what you did. Here's the strength of this. He's just like us. He was a regular dude, like you and like me. But here's the difference, maybe, between him and a lot of Christians. Paul was an effective minister because of his high view of Christ and his, willing, his willingness to say yes to God's mission. His high view of Christ and his willingness to say yes. Why do I say the high view of Christ? It's at the end of verse 8. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's how Paul thought about Jesus. The unsearchable riches, the value that is Christ and all that comes from, that's, that's how Paul viewed Christ. Is that how you and I view Christ? I mean, so often I think we get so wrapped up into this world and, and, and pursuing the American dream, whatever that is, that Jesus just becomes another to-do list rather than Jesus being our to-do list. This high, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. That's why I love this book of Ephesians. So far, reading through these first three chapters, no commands. He's just going, look at Jesus. Look at who God is and what He's done for you in you. He has a great high view of Jesus. Now, as we think about these unsearchable riches... I want you to ask a question real quick. Now, we're not talking about money here. These are spiritual riches. When did you first start asking those deep spiritual questions? You know, what, what are the deepest questions we have as humans? And, and it's always been that way. Where'd we come from, right? Where are we going? Why are we here? What's the purpose? Do I have a purpose? I mean, all these deep questions. Everybody looks around. Every religion looks at the earth and goes, there's something wrong. And then they try and figure out what the answer is. These are the deep questions. And go through any belief. Any belief is faith, by the way. 
Atheists who don't believe there's a God, their faith is in science, which is not placed accurately as you read and, and study, but their faith is in science. And so they have these questions, what's wrong? Well, what's, what's wrong is we're messing up the planet or whatever. And their solution, from their point of view, their worldview would be, we're accidents, we're cosmic accidents. So the answer is, do what makes you happy, right? Look at some of these Eastern religions. They look around, okay, something's wrong, but what's the answer? The answer is then a denial of self. If everything is God, this pantheon, everything is God, then the idea is to find nirvana, to empty myself of any desires, and then I become one with, with the creation. I become God, one with God, because there isn't really a God. There's these answers. Or, or the, the real religious religions, uh, you know, Islam, uh, Catholicism, a lot of Protestant Christianity as well, a lot of the cults. What's the answer? Go do these things. Depending on your bent, it may be conquest. You know, some of Islam held strict in there. It's conquest. It's getting rid of the infidels. That's their mission. What's the answer? These are the deep questions. And here's, here's what I want to point out. A lot of people around us are asking these questions, and they're all answering them in their same way, or in some way, in different ways. Even if they're not thinking about it, they're still answering it. Look at their life. How are they living it out? We have to answer these questions. It, it determines what we do in life, how we answer these questions. With that in mind, look at verse 9. Paul, again, referring to himself as a steward of this mystery of God's ultimate plan, says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul, my mission as a steward of this mystery is to bring to light to who? Everyone. That's heavy. To bring to light everyone what? God's plan. Basically, the answer to all these questions. God's plan. What is God's plan? From the beginning, God's plan was to reconcile all humanity, all those who would place their faith in Jesus through the death of Jesus on the cross. This was his plan. It was hidden for ages, but now it's been revealed. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal purpose. Do you realize? I mean, as you open up, imagine being that person on the island and you, and you open up and you start reading the Bible. The fact is, all of this was God's plan. His eternal purpose. He didn't, you know, give, give the law to Israel, and then Israel messed up, and God went, fine, I give up on you. I'm going to give it to everybody. This was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't as if God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, don't eat from that tree, and then when they did, he goes, oh, what am I going to do now? He knew. His plan from the beginning. Think about this. Before God created anything, he knew he was going to take on flesh and die for us. Would you still create everything? If you were going to suffer the way Jesus did, God knew he was going to do it. That was his plan from the beginning. And, and with that, I mean, so if I was going to write the Bible, I would have put the death of Jesus first. That would have been my teaser, like, you know, and you see this and his resurrection. Then you go, I need to know the rest of the story, you know, oh, 6,000 years earlier, whatever, you know. And then you see the rest of the story. But God's plan was always to reconcile it all in Jesus. And that's part of Paul's reason for writing this book. 
is to reveal this plan that God has had from the beginning. To reconcile everything in Jesus. This is in your notes. Part of this mystery is that God's wisdom is made known through the church. This is interesting. As we see this mystery, he's talking about God, this mystery revealed, and now he starts talking about the church. This is another one of Paul's themes in in Ephesians, the church. So God is making his wisdom and his plan known through the church to who? Verse 10, it says, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who's that? That's angels. That's angels, fallen angels, demons, and and angels. You realize angels are not eternal beings. They're not like God. They are eternal like we are. They're going to be with God forever or apart from God forever. But they're not like God. They're not all-knowing. They're not, you know, omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once. They, like us, can only be one place at one time. So these angels are looking on. Imagine that. So we don't really know when you you read Scripture. That part is still kind of a mystery. When did God make the angels? Don't know. Somewhere between verse 1 and the fall uh, they were created. But they're looking on, and they're watching. And so even this unfolding of God's plan is a mystery to them. And so they're watching, and they're getting to know God, getting to know His plan, and celebrating. Scripture says that there's a party in heaven every time one person is saved. So the angels, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, there's a battle raging in the spiritual realm right now. It's very real. We can't see it. It's happening all around us. Don't freak out. Our side wins. But, but there is this very real battle going on. You have probably experienced it some in your life. We've, we've talked about it. We're, we're buying this building, which is exciting because we're going to have more space. We're going to be able to serve this city better. And guess what? The enemy is going to come against it. But guess what? We have our side too. The angels are, are also... So there's this, this cosmic battle taking place. It's always been that way. You, you see in Scripture s- several pictures of it. Yeah, at one point there's an angel wanting to come to a rescue somewhere, but there's demons holding them off. Uh, there's another spot where you see Elijah. He and, and one servant with him, and they're surrounded by earthly armies. And the servant starts freaking out, and Elijah's like, God, open his eyes. And he looks around, and, and the hills all around are covered with chariots of fire. I mean, the angelic, he's like, look at our army. We can't see them, but they're there. So these angels are looking on and learning about God by watching the church. Now, again, this mystery, think back. Satan, Satan was active against God, always has been, and his angels. Now, Jesus came. Who recognized Jesus for who he was? Demon-possessed people. Yeah, the demons knew who he was. They knew he was God in flesh. Satan, as you read through, Satan was behind his crucifixion. Judas, read in the Gospels, he, he, he then, Satan went into him when he betrayed Jesus. Satan was behind this. Imagine from Satan's point of view, he didn't know the whole story. Here's God in flesh, I'm going to kill him. Satan won a great victory when Jesus died on the cross, or so he thought. I mean, they had this plan, and it's one of those, ha-ha, now angels are, you know, what's happening? And then Jesus rises from the dead. Oh, mystery revealed. I win. (laughs) You know, I I know God's probably not that way, but I'd love to see that. It's like him dunking over Satan, and then he wins. (laughs) What you thought, you know, the greatest evil to ever take place, 
is my victory. It's how I'm going to redeem not only all that who would place their faith in me, but all of creation. Yeah, so, so you know, there's the, the worldview now that the, the problem is us and we're messing up the earth, you know, and so the answer is to reduce your carbon footprint or whatever. Well, the earth is messed up, that's true. But even, even the earth is all going to be fixed because of Jesus' death on the cross. He's going to reconcile it all because of what he's done. So the angels are looking on and learning this about God. Yeah, I mean, just picture that. When Jesus rose from the dead, the high fives, the chest bumps, you know, when people are saved. But it doesn't end there. Through the church now. I mean, if it ended there, we wouldn't need the rest of the New Testament. We wouldn't need the book of Acts as you start seeing the spread of the church. Now there's, there's another part of this mystery. It's us. It's the church, the mystery that we are Christ's body on earth, that this mystery of how his plan is now being made known to everybody else through us. Wow. Wow. Look back at Ephesians 1.4 just real quick. You see this theme. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us as part of this plan from the beginning. And it all hinges on Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 11, sorry, back to Ephesians 3.11. You know, all this was according to the eternal purpose he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. How did he realize it in Christ Jesus? His substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Now, we're looking at this mystery, and the mystery is how God has done this to reconcile all, and that Gentiles are now in just like the Jews. But have, have you ever struggled with the idea that maybe you needed to become a Jew to be saved? Probably not. Uh, that was a big struggle in this first century, but, but not for us. But what about all those other questions? What about all those other questions of the deep questions of life, of what the answer is, why we're here, where we're going? You've probably asked those. And for you and me, this mystery, and maybe you hear mystery and you're like, it's not really a mystery, I know that. Like, Darth Vader is Luke's dad. We know that. Everybody knows that. But back in 1981, you didn't know that until you saw Empire Strikes Back, and then you're like, oh, well, guess what? Kind of like that, there's a lot of people out there who haven't seen Empire Strikes Back. There's a lot of people out there who don't know the mystery. They don't know the answer. The Word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And who is it that speaks? You know, and how will they hear is written unless someone speaks. And how will someone speak unless they are sent? This stewardship that Paul has, we have as well. This beautiful responsibility, but a privilege to take this mystery to those around us who have these questions and need these answers, and we have them. As the church... And as individuals, we have the privilege to make this mystery known to the world around us. Look back at verse 9 real quick. Part of this privilege, he says, is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. Everyone. You know, in our area, we have 100, 120,000 people who live in this area. What's the plan? That they all hear. Every single one. Every single one. 
But for us, it is everyone, but it begins with one. And so that's, I want to ask you that. Who's your one? The goal is everyone, but we begin with just one. Who is that one that you know that is asking these questions, or maybe they should ask these questions? And maybe, maybe your job isn't to go share the gospel yet. Maybe your job is first to ask the questions and get them thinking about the deep things of life. This is one of the reasons funerals are great, because people at funerals are asking the deep questions, Right? You're, uh, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting, because in, in a house of mourning, people start thinking about eternity. Who is your one that doesn't know the answers, that needs to hear the answers, this mystery? You know, as we carry out this plan, this is the exciting thing. God's plan is going to work out. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And so his plan is being carried out in your life and in mine, and we continue to go, but we don't go in our own strength. This is where the freedom, that's why I love the song that we sang before, you know, putting God up here. It's not in our own strength that we go. Paul didn't go in his own strength. It's in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go, and I will be with you to the end of the age. And look at verse 12. In whom, in Christ, we have boldness, and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So in this mystery, in carrying out this stewardship of His grace, He goes with us, and we have bold access. Uh, Other translations say free access. We have free access to Him by faith. Now He throws in that by faith. This isn't for everybody. This is for the saints. This is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. We have direct access, free access to Jesus anytime, all time. And if you look in the last one, you know, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. He says, and I'm suffering for your sake, which is your glory. There's actually glory in suffering carrying this out. Scripture makes clear we will suffer, but there's glory in the suffering, and it's worth it. So as we wrap this up, I would just ask, what is God speaking to you? Have you moved from responsibility to privilege? And who is your one? Now, if you're here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, guess what? You can say yes to him today. All it takes is faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard. The mystery has now been revealed to you. You've heard. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe the answer is Jesus? All you have to do is pray. Tell Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I want you to be Lord of my life. You can do that this morning. Jeff and Kate are, are going to be in the back, and they want to pray with you. Maybe God has said something else to you this morning. Maybe he's revealed something else. Say yes to him. As Paul was willing to say yes to Jesus, well, I ask you, as, as Paul, our musician, likes to say, say yes to him before you know what it is. What is it the Holy Spirit is commu- communicating to you that you need to say yes to. Maybe go pray with Jeff or Kate. Maybe come up here to our prayer wall, write it down and give it to him. Maybe it's sit there and spend some time in prayer. By the way, when we sing, you don't have to sing. You can sit there and listen, meditate on the words, pray. But let's respond now as God leads you to respond. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for revealing this mystery, this plan. We're not in the dark. Uh, we may be in the dark day to day. We don't know, Jesus, exactly when you're returning, but we know that you're coming back. And we know that when you come back, you're going to make all things right. 
We know that we're going to be out of these darn bodies and get new ones without sin. We can't wait for that. We, we know that the answer, Jesus, is you. Thank you that we know the answers. And now we admit sometimes we struggle living it out. We struggle living lives of faith and giving it to you, and we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with a love for you, Jesus, that you would elevate yourself in our hearts and minds, that we would hold you where you should be, and then that, that would impact the way we live. I also pray for that one, for each of us, that one person that's on our mind right now. God, who is that? Holy Spirit, give us each one. Who is it that needs to hear this mystery? Now, God, I ask that we would pray for those people this week, and I pray that you would give us an opportunity and then the boldness to take that opportunity to speak your mystery, your plan into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.